This is Talkin' Mule Deer with your hosts, Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. Talkin' Mule Deer takes you on a journey to learn more about the Mule Deer Foundation, Mule Deer and Blacktail Deer Biology and Management, tips and tactics for hunting, conservation issues, and even features some of our corporate and celebrity partners. Now, let's start talking Mule Deer. Hello, this is Jody Stemmler, and we're talking Mule Deer at the SHOT Show, the Shooting, Hunting, and Outdoor Trade Show in Las Vegas, Nevada. Hi, and I'm Steve Belinda, and today we've got with us the shooting editor for Outdoor Life and Field and Stream, Mr. John Snow. John, welcome. Thank you. Hey, Good to be here. We're happy to have you here, John. Thank you so much for taking your time. I know this is a busy show for you. I, how many shot shows have you been to? Oh, my goodness. I think <laughs> this is now 21 or 22. It, it, and, and they're just getting bigger, aren't they? They just, or, or my legs are getting shorter. Oh. <laughs> one, one or the other. I'm not sure. <laughs> I heard on the way in there's like 60,000 people coming in for this. That's yeah. crazy. It is. Yeah. It is an amazing spectacle. Um, and this is really where most of the products are launching. The companies are launching their products for the year. So your job while you're here is looking at some of the new rifle offerings and uh, and shotguns and others that are going to be out there. Is that a- true? Absolutely. I, I make the uh, rounds and, and try to find everything new and exciting that goes bang one way or another. <laughs> That's just not the book slamming on the floor then. You know, it's uh, all <laughs> firearms, right? Yep. All, Hand, all, handguns, all rifles, firearms. shotguns. Absolutely. And, and when I can squeeze it in, the ammo, the optics, the electronics the accessories. It's a pretty cool job. So why don't we let step this back a little bit and find out how you came to be the editor, shooting editor for Field and Stream and Outdoor Life. What's your background? Where did you come into this? Well, my background uh, professionally is, is more as a straight journalist. You know, I, I came at this from the from the journalism angle. So a couple years after college, I was at uh, sort of loose ends and sort of dawned on me that, um, you know, I like talking to people. I like not being at a desk. I like writing. I'm kind of curious about the world. And so becoming a reporter became uh, this idea that I got. And I sort of followed up on that and managed to end up working at some local newspapers and then did magazine work. And eventually, uh, I sort of burned out on that. And uh, I, I needed a change of pace. I grew up fishing, not hunting so much. I didn't really come from that kind of a family, uh, but I did so have. So you a didn't grow up hunting. No. Very. Did you shoot at all as a as a child? I did. Well, here's the thing. I've got. I shouldn't confess this, but <laughs> like like most of us, I was a outlaw little rascal, <laughs> you know. So as soon as I got a BB gun, you know, when I was 11 or 12 years old, stuff started falling in my yard. <laughs> and um, no. Yes, I know it's it's awful to admit, but here's the thing: is that I always, I always ate. A bunch of the stuff that I shot, oh, you know. Good for so you, whether that? whether right it was on. a was that a mommy making you do that or no? You just, oh no, no. actually, <laughs> and your mom see, was like, no, "See, I was, where did you grow up?" I was a consummate latchkey kid. My parents weren't around, ah. so a lot of the time. So, so you were a young child with a gun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> doesn't yes. happen a lot these days, does no, it? No, it does. It doesn't. Happen. I can relate to that. So. Yeah. <laughs> where I, Where did you grow up? I grew up. Um, I grew up in Connecticut, oh, in, in New England. Wow. Yep, down uh, down in Brantford on the shore of long island sound so a lot of fishing down there yep. you know good saltwater fishing yep, yeah. good saltwater fishing I had, I had a pond in my backyard and that was my 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 happy place and still love to fish but i always had that bloodlust as a kid you know I don't, I don't know if people are born hunters or if it's if it's in them but as soon as i became an adult and kind of had uh you know a little more ability to sort of do this stuff i i got into hunting and it was very natural for me i could i 
could feel it coming. I just didn't have anybody to show me when yeah. I was younger. But it, now you started to pursue this independently, not as part of your journalism at that point. Oh right? yeah, no, yeah, no, they were, they, were, okay. they were they were parallel, okay. parallel passions. We see a lot of hunters get into shooting after they learn how to hunt and they're successful, but you're just the opposite. You you were a shooter. Mm-hmm. That then got into hunting, and I, and I think you're probably a better marksman before because you were really focused on technique and the mechanics and intricacies of shooting versus just going out and trying to to, to harvest yeah. the game. Well, you know what? When you've got um, a lot of time and an imagination, you know things like ballistics tables and 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 things like that can kind of transport you, so you can study those things. You actually and, like and those. Get, <laughs> yes, yes, I, I, I did like those. I was fascinated by all of that stuff. Technology. Um, They're Greek to a lot of people. They are. Yeah. But, I, but don't get me wrong. I did not start off a great marksman. I mean, I enjoyed it a lot, but it was only later that I started to understand everything I was doing wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and got some real instruction. And, and that's when the, uh, you know, sort of the um, curtains were drawn back. And all of a sudden I realized, wow. So how did that transition happen? How did that, I mean, was it, did somebody take you under your wing? Or did you, or was it getting into a more outdoor writer type of a position? It started there? actually, you know, the, the, the first good piece of instruction I got, I couldn't tell you who the guy was. This was at, I was living in Seattle at the time and uh, I had joined a, a gun club up there and, and I had, you know, my, my firearms collection at the beginning, like most people, very modest. I had a Remington 870 pump action shotgun and you know i had 130-06 bolt gun and you know one handgun you know sort of <laughs> that was yeah. that was it and i was uh not doing very well with the shotgun you know and i'm because i'm left-handed and so i shot left-handed and uh this guy finally out of mercy or pity couldn't stand watching me do what <laughs> i was doing and you know i learned about uh correct eye dominance mm. and everything else and realized i was doing it backwards i'm right eye dominant Left so right eye at her urging, I, uh, I learned how to shoot a shotgun and a rifle right-handed. Okay. And um, that was the first piece of real instruction I got. And that was a very life-changing moment. Yeah, we do that at uh, Hunter Ed and other courses. We teach people how to do their dominance triangle with the, the triangle to the eye, holding the, so, you know, something. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's funny because those of us have shot a long time. I'm right-handed, but I'm left-eye dominant. When I go to shoot left-handed, which would probably make me a more accurate shot, the comfort level, I just can't get past it. So I'm actually a better shot. I've learned how to shoot right-handed with that left-eye dominance. Right. Now, saying that, my dominance, my eye dominance changed in my 20s. So I was already oh, shooting right-eye okay. dominant right-handed for a long time, and then when it switched, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to make the adjustment. I so. heard about that recently, actually, that that your domin- your eye dominance can change and yeah. that com- you looking at a computer screen for an extended period of time. So if somebody finds that they're suddenly sh- not shooting as well as they used to, you may want to actually check your d- eye dominance. It, it doesn't... It well, doesn't funny story. I, I found out because I was, I was a bow hunter and I shot an elk and I shot the elk not near where I should have. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why did I miss by eight inches? I still still harvested the animal, but I went back and was just like, well, this is way off, and ended up, you know, testing my eye dominance, and of course it went to the left eye, and I was like, wow. And that happened in a two-week period, from the end of, end of practicing to hunt, and then two weeks later when I harvested an elk. And it, I had gotten the flu in the middle of there. Huh. And so I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but, you know, that's, that's a great story that you um, – 
that, that your dominance and really I don't know if you had the comfort issue that I have but well I just kind of uh I powered through it yeah. you know I mean what I, what I would do is I would take a, a shotgun and uh just shoulder it on what was the awkward opposite side mm -hmm. for me and I would do that in little sets of 10 and kind of just in the house dry firing you know picking yeah. a spot on the wall and it was it took a little while it took a two three weeks you know to sort of start it to have it feel a little more natural and it took even longer than that to have it be instinctive yeah okay you yeah. know yeah, yeah, um but uh but i did make the i did make the shift it's not as hard as uh as i thought it might be and you know i think and actually i do shoot better for it because as a lefty I want my dominant hand out there controlling the forend of the gun. The right. gun that's pulling the, the hand that's pulling the trigger and holding the stock, it's not doing a lot of work. Right. You know, the uh -huh. you know, you want your coordination, your natural Yeah, that's interesting um, point. dominant hand out there. So actually it's a it's a it's a benefit. It's just tough for guys who are right handed and left eye dominant. My son falls into that yeah. because now, you know, the options for left handed rifles and left handed actions right. is not as uh there just aren't as many of them. So it's well, and they're actually more expensive, too. A left-handed gun, I, I, we ran into that. My dad lost sight in his right eye, had to switch in his 40s, and found out that a left-handed rifle was $100, $150 more than the same model right-handed. But that was 30 years ago. I don't know if it's the same now. So. Yeah, I think they, they pretty much keep them the, the same price now. But there, but you do have more limited options. There's no there's no doubt about that. But you can end up being a better shot yeah. if, if that's something that you struggle with. So Kay. you were a shooter. You became a hunter. And recently you went on a mule deer hunt, I understand. Well, hold on a second. I actually want to make the transition to when did you start working doing oh. outdoor writing? And when did you transition to outdoor uh, journalism yes. and start, yes. you know, going from it? I'm teaching myself and I'm taking uh, random pieces of, of information from people at the range to being an expert on guns and, and shooting uh, and, and hunting. Well, what, what happened was that I had uh, burned out on my job in New York City. I was working at the New York Times. I was um, their first new media editor, actually. The oh, first, wow. yeah, you know, I was part of the very first new media. This was Internet 1.0, <laughs> and um, and I just, and I, yeah, and, and I just got, I was just done, and so uh, quit, quit my job and just picked up and moved to Seattle and didn't have a job, and was actually looking in the help wanted ads of all places. I mean, exa exactly the kind of stuff you'd never think <laughs> would have worked, and it's, I certainly wouldn't recommend this career path or, or this career planning to anybody but I did find a ad in there for a outdoor company that was looking to launch a magazine in the Midwest and it was still Random. based in Seattle <laughs> yeah and I had actually spent a lot of time in Michigan fishing and hunting and I'm like I can do that and I'd actually had a lot of new business development experience at that point so we had launched you know various products and things like that so that wasn't uh, that wasn't unusual for me either and Started working at a place called Fishing and Hunting News. Yep. And, oh uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I got those for a long time. So. Yeah, and so I was I was there for it's kind of the the final chapter of that of that uh, magazine and that business, and it was a great four years there. You know, and that was kind of my introduction to the outdoor business. Okay. Then after that, um, you know, that business was kind of folding. You know, it was a based on an old business model, and it just wasn't viable the way it was anymore. And my wife at the time was just like, well, you know, what are the best magazines out there that you want to work at? I said, well, you know, Outdoor Life and Field and Stream. She's like, well, you know, you should apply to them. And I knew that that would bring me back east. 
So I uh, did a cold letter to them and, and to each, and I ended up getting a call back from the uh, editor-in-chief of Outdoor Life then, Todd Smith, and uh, he said, ah, oh, you, you wrote about the job. And I said, oh, yeah, the job. Yes, that one. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> and uh, that's, you know, they had a position for a, a senior editor open, and I came out and interviewed for it, and that was back in early 2001. Okay, that's about, actually, yeah. I didn't realize you were new. That was about when I met you, um, yeah. was when, when I was still with the Congressional yeah. Sportsman's Foundation. So. Yeah, and so, yeah, I, I started. But so did you have to move, because. Yeah, no, I had to move back. Back to New York yeah. City, because that's yeah. where. Back to, back to New yeah. York City. So I was li- living in Connecticut at that time and commuting in. And, um, yeah, so I started there in 2001. And I, uh, you know, of course, I'm not going to work at a magazine where Jim Carmichael is and not pester him. <laughs> And he got, you know, he could get ornery. Uh, no. But, man, I, I just, I, but I just kept at it. And I sort of uh, made him my mentor, whether he, whether he wanted me yeah. <laughs> in that role or, or not. And uh, started helping out with the gun tests over the years. And um, really, you know, that's where my technical knowledge started to really gel. You know, you think you know a lot until you meet somebody like Mr. Carmichael. Yeah. Absolutely. And then you realize you've still got a, quite a bit of hill to climb. And uh, then when he retired in 2009, um, he, I got the blessing from him and everybody else on high, and I stepped into his shoes. And I am the fifth shooting editor in the history of Outdoor Life wow. since 1898. That's, so that's pretty impressive. That's and, it. again, learning from one of the best ever yeah. um, you know, you, yeah. at the hands of great wisdom there. So. Yeah. And, of course, in the office, I also had Dave Petzl. Yeah. He was in the office then. And uh, I became very good friends with him and enjoyed him. And, and uh, never in my wildest dreams would I have thought that I would be able to call myself shooting editor of both Outdoor Life and Field and Stream. But this last year, that's how that worked out. So what does that, I mean, so you're based in New York City. No, no. I'm, I went back. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, I went, I went right. back. I went, yeah, no, I got, I got a, here's the thing. I, I did the shooting editor job for a year back there. And I went to my boss and I just said, I, I can't do this job here anymore, man. I, I've got to get out west. He's like, yeah, no, I don't we all? I said, no, I can't really? do my job here anymore. He's like, oh. I'm like, all right. And so we kind of went through the thing, and they gave me a nice big pay cut and yeah. said, go have fun. And so that's what I did. So what do you – are you in the field quite a bit? Are you going – I mean, describe a year. Yeah, what's yeah. the job entail? Well, the job entails, um, yeah, a lot of time in the field, a lot of time shooting guns, evaluating, talking to people about trends and what they're developing and kind of, um, you know, working some – a lot of times actually working with them at this point. I've got these long-standing relationships yep. now. I do a fair amount of competitive shooting as well. What, what competitions? Um, I do mostly uh, long-range precision rifle okay. stuff, uh, tactical field matches, PRS type right. matches. Okay. Um, that's that's what I do mostly now. Excellent. Yeah. So with the 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 hybrid cartridge phase we're going through right now, again, seems like you're probably having quite a bit of new calibers, new ballistics, new new loads that you're evaluating, and it just seems like it's almost like a whiskey or a beer thing. It's it's become a craft issue for a lot of people right now. Well, we have learned so much. You know, what we've done with cartridge development in the last 15, 20 years is just remarkable. And, um, you know, there are a lot of classic cartridges that, that are great, that I love, that I still love. But we are, we are spoiled now with some really great cartridges that really bring a lot more to the table 
than uh, than a lot of the old classics do. And it's um, you know a lot of people love to grumble about well, there's nothing that you know this one can't do that my Ot six can't yeah. do. And okay, fair enough. You know, you know they, it's not like all of a sudden those cartridges don't work. But we do understand much better now a lot of interior ballistics, and we have developed better uh, bullets where before the way we would get performance would be to take a lighter bullet and drive it really fast and shoot it flat. Classic example, the 257 Weatherby that we'll be talking about, Mm -hmm. one of my favorite cartridges. But, you know, today, you know, what we're doing is we're taking more uh, moderate-sized cartridge cases, heavier bullets, driving them a little bit slower, but because they are so ballistically efficient that by the time you get out to further distances, they will surpass what those little fire breathers that are ripping out at the muzzle do. So that, I, that's kind of where we've ended up. I am constantly amazed of the out-of-the-box accuracy of factory ammo mm-hmm. and off-the-shelf rifles these days. I mean, that's the right. 243 bought from my daughter. You know, they said it was boresighted. It has an aftermarket scope on it. It was a package deal. Um, went out with some federal ammo and... Was driving dime groups out of the box and have never had to touch that gun. And, and, you know, 30 years ago when I was a kid, I would have never thought that that would have been possible. Yeah. It was the hand loaders that, that could do that stuff. And now it's it's at our fingertips at a, at a very low cost and very, you know, the knowledge base, as you said, that's out there. If you want to know about this stuff and you want to become a better shooter, it's right at your fingertips. And it's in a way that, you know, you don't have to have a Ph.D. and physics or mathematics to understand it either so that's right yeah i know we're we're spoiled now it's a it's a great time to be a precision shooter so eastern montana last year you talked about your 257 weatherby yes um tell us a little bit about this hunt oh man that was that was great well mule deer is you know my favorite you know it's that classic thing you can only hunt one thing you know what would it be and for me it's mule deer you know, and I've uh, I love mule deer, love mule deer country, love the animals, love how they behave, love watching them, and so I had an opportunity to work with the uh, Mule Deer Foundation last year and the and the guys at Rolling Bones and Weatherby and and Zeiss, and we put together this kind of cool idea to go hunt down in southeast corner of Montana near Alzada down there, and God, we just had a, a wonderful wonderful hunt took place over a week and it's just everything you always hope it will be we had just driving snow wind 30 miles an hour i was down there i know exactly what you were talking about my oh, daughter and i man. were down there that week and man it was tough hunting but it was uh it was t- it was tough hunting it was tough hunting but you know we we're up in this broken ground this butte area and um just a lot of great country to move through and glass through and and uh, yeah, no, it was just it was just fabulous. Took us a few days to to do this. You know that weather, like everybody who's done it knows. You know that can shut them down for a little bit, but they're going to get hungry at some point. Well, and this story that uh, about your hunt is in MDF's magazine, the member magazine that should be hitting houses uh, in early January, mid January, um, right before convention. And the important part um, for Hunt Expo, Western Hunting and Conservation Expo, is that. You used a Weatherby 257, um, and that rifle that you used, plus a hunt um, with the Zeiss optic as well, plus a hunt with Rolling Bones, um, is going to be at auction on the Friday night uh, conservation 
banquet um, during Hunt Expo this year. So you will be able to use, you will be able to have a chance to buy the gun that John shot, this limited edition, beautiful, tell us about the gun. Yeah, well, this isn't just any regular gun. <laughs> this is this is, this is is cool. So for the 70th anniversary of the Mark V, you know, one of the greatest hunting actions ever, ever made, Weatherby did a special run of 70. And they were... If you know anything about Roy Weatherby and how he built up Weatherby and that that Hollywood, California look, these rifles embody Roy Weatherby's vision. High gloss wood, high Monte Carlo cheek piece, the exaggerated pistol grip, beautiful exhibition wood. I, I don't know which grade it is, <laughs> but it's the highest. I mean, just just lovely, lovely blank on this. Check, you know, skip line checkering on it. The the white spacers, the rosewood foreign tip. I mean. Just luscious, beautiful bluing on the on the metalwork. You know, so this is just a lovely, lovely rifle. And there were only 70 of these made. And, of course, they all got snapped up right away. You know, but there was one. There was one that was supposed to go to the governor of, Cal- of uh, Wyoming when Weatherby announced their move. You know, it was for the help they got. They were like, they want to present this to them. Well, in, in Wyoming, the governor can't take a gift like that. Right. He couldn't take it, so I said, "I'll take it." <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, me, well, me, me, me. "They're like, well, why should we give it to you?" I said, "Because you like me." <laughs> and uh, they're like, "No, that's not good enough." I said, "Well, how about we, uh, how about we make some, raise some money for our favorite critter?" And uh, so anyway, we we came together with the the Mule Deer Foundation and and Weatherby and Zeiss also stepped up, and um, you know we put this package together where I would take this beautiful beautiful gun uh go hunt with it write a story about it and we would auction off uh the equipment i used and also the experience i had um with the with rolling bones and and hopefully you know somebody is gonna be just over the moon to to own this gun which really is a historic beautiful rifle well and the fun part about the story is that you were very aware during your hunt that this gun was going to be auctioned off and and how stunning and beautiful it was and so so the challenge of hunting in that kind of broken country in the middle of a snow and an ice storm and keeping that gun looking as nice as it was that i i, I found that quite amusing to listen to your yeah, story well, about that you, you know how you you know one of the one of the tenets of wisdom is to know thyself and if there's nothing I've learned about myself, I am hard on gear. <laughs> I break stuff. I mean, it's part of what I do with my gear testing. But I knew that I couldn't just be my normal, thoughtless gorilla self, like with the Samsonite, you know, <laughs> suitcase thing, which is kind of what I normally do. So in this awful, horrendous weather, just driven ice and through this slippery, you know, just slicky, you know, kind of clay and stuff mm. just falling over. So I'm taking my rifle with me, but it is encased in a soft case everywhere I go. <laughs> the, the, like a baby. I mean, uh, yeah, like a baby. This, <laughs> thing is, this thing is swaddled like a like a little newborn Eskimo kid. And um, so, you know, as I'm carrying this thing around the mountains, so it, it made things a little awkward for me. I, I I bit the dust a couple times, you know, trying to maneuver with this thing. But I can I can guarantee you that other than a cupping couple lovely little. Um, barely know some character Characters. marks that this thing is still in, in, in flawless condition. You know, it's interesting you say that. When I was a youngster um, listening to my father and friends and, and aunts or uncles and aunts and that talk about <clears throat> hunting, and I got the vast impression that the gun takes on character from every hunt that it's been on. And it haunts, not in a bad way, but it haunts that wood 
and and the, the barrel and the bluing and and so whoever buys this rifle is going to have that mark in there from your hunt from the you know what Weatherby's putting out there is a commemorative rifle one of the best uh, I agree with you one of the best calibers I think made for mid game uh, mid size game and also that eastern Montana feel and the hunt that you get out there and I think that's just going to start the career of that rifle off well Good, good, good omen for the, the future buyer. So, so keep your eye on that. If you're not going to be out at Hunt Expo, um, there is going to be online bidding for this yeah. and all of the auction items that's available through the Hunt Expo app. Um, or you, there will be uh, links online as well. But so, so if you're not going to be able to be in Salt Lake City uh, in February, you still might have the chance to buy this online because it, it is a yeah. uh, it is quite a unique and special thing. Um, not just the the hunt itself that you'll have the chance, but to have a gun that is limited edition, made by Weatherby. Adam Weatherby obviously is on the Mule Deer Foundation's board, and uh, and then used by. Field and Stream and Outdoor Life's fifth ever yeah. <laughs> uh, shotgun, or I'm sorry, um, shooting, shooting editor. editor. Shooting, shooting editor. Um, so tell me about uh, what you've been seeing here at SHOT Show this year. Is there anything that you are particularly excited about? Anything new that um, mule deer hunters or other western hunters might be interested in knowing about? Yes. Well, I am, uh, yeah, there are a couple of really good pieces of news, I think, just from a from a gear standpoint on there. If um, you know, the 257 Weatherby, as we know, is one of the classic open country cartridges and, and is wonderful. But we've also had some newer cartridges that have come along that are equally impressive and embody some of this more modern design. So the 6.5 PRC, for example, mm-hmm. is a uh, is a fabulous open country cartridge and very inherently accurate and, um, you know, capable of ethically taking uh, game at, at extended distances. And um, we're seeing a lot more very accurate, purpose-built guns that are incorporating carbon fiber either in the barrel or in the stock, or in some cases both. And so there are a lot of great open country, lightweight, you know, kind of mountain rifles that um, very comfortable to shoot, but that are that are also stiff and handle well, and are accurate. So I mean, I'm, you know, and that trend I've definitely seen a lot of like really good-looking mountain rifles coming out this year and uh, and these accurate cartridges whether it's the 6.5 Creedmoor or the 6.5 PRC um, you know these are great open country um, flat shooting cartridges that are, that are very effective so yeah some good news are you seeing uh, the desire for those worldwide other countries and is it or is it just the United States thing no the uh, the 6.5 um, craze is is um, kind of sweeping sweeping different parts of the world it, it, it really is i mean um you know what what that cartridge has accomplished it's really you know changed so much for because for a long time we just would not get anybody to look at a, a new metric you right. know i mean if you wanted to have a successful cartridge introduction it better have a 30 in it in its name somewhere but so um, what is different about it so for some people i mean people have heard about it perhaps but may not really truly understand what is different between a 6.5 Creedmoor and then what's different with the new PRC round from a Creedmoor. Right well the 6.5 PRC is is um, you know the 6.5 Creedmoor is big brother so it's going to be a couple hundred feet per second faster Um, but they are both uh, extremely accurate inherently accurate cartridges. The 6.5 Creedmoor was developed 
um, by Dave Emery and Dennis DeMille. Dave Emery from Hornaday and Dennis DeMille, one of the greatest you know, of our modern shooters um, for across the course high power competition. You know, so they um, they kind of on a on a napkin, you know, sketched out the qualities that the, that he wanted in this competition round. You know, it had to be accurate, easy to reload, light recoiling, um, have good barrel life. You know, and 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 down the list, right? You know, it just so also happens that those six five bullets, you know, by virtue of their construction, are amazing hunting bullets. They they penetrate like crazy, and they are. Um, have very good terminal ballistics. And so you once people started winning matches with the 6.5 Creedmoor, and that's really how it started, um, people started winning matches with it and then taking it into the field and saw how effective it was. There was just no uh, no stopping it, hmm. you know. Awesome. Cool. Any other, any other surprises or exciting things? Uh, are you going to be out at Hunt Expo this year? I am going to be out at Yay. Hunt Expo. I can't, I can't wait to get out there. It's such a great It's a good show. time, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a good, a good days, time. So. Good good crowd. I'm excited to um, say goodbye to my rifle. Oh. <laughs> I know. I'm going to I'm going to miss it, but I'm but I'm happy. I'm happy to think about it going to another really good home and and hopefully it will have a a long career out there in the field. The adoption papers come with it. The adoption papers, the adoption papers. <laughs> visitation. The, the proper the proper care and feeding uh, instructions and and all that. No, I I will um, I, I, yeah, it's, <laughs> I, I, will, I will follow up on this rifle, but uh, somebody's going to be very happy with it. Uh, I, I can guarantee you that. Well, John, it's been uh, a privilege for us to talk to you today. You know, the 2019 SHOT Show is huge. It's awesome. Um, we're glad that, that you're here. Uh, we're glad what you do for mule deer and for conservation. And uh, we look forward to seeing you at Expo, but more importantly, we look forward to continue to see quality articles and content coming out of Outdoor Life in Field and Stream because of your leadership. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure and an honor to sit down with both of you today and get away from the show floor for a few minutes. <laughs> now it's back to the grind. Yes, it is. Thanks, John. So for now, from SHOT Show 2019, this is Jody Stemler. And I'm Steve Belinda. Until we talk to you next time. Thank you. You could be the proud new owner of the 257 Weatherby Mark V 70th anniversary rifle that Field and Stream and Outdoor Life shooting editor John Snow used recently in eastern Montana. And you could also go on the same eastern Montana mule deer hunt with Rolling Bones Outfitters. This incredible package will be auctioned off as item number 33 during the Friday night auction on February 15th's Conservation Banquet at the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo. Get your tickets now at the website www.huntexpo.com or on the Hunt Expo app for your smartphone or device. Can't be there in person? Once again this year, we will have online bidding for all of our incredible auction items through the Hunt Expo app, so make sure you download it today so you can get in on the action. See you at the Expo! Thanks for talking Mule Deer with Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. The Mule Deer Foundation is the only conservation group in North America dedicated to restoring, improving, and protecting mule deer and black-tailed deer and their habitat. MDF is a strong voice for hunters in access, wildlife management, and conservation policy issues. To find out more, visit www.muledeer.org and stay tuned for the next episode of Talkin' Mule Deer.